It's episode 53 of the Keto for Women show. You're listening to the Keto for Women show, and I'm your host and nutritionist, Sean Miner. This show is designed to empower women to find their own expression of the keto diet to maximize their health and happiness. Now let's get started with today's episode. Hey there, friends. Welcome back. Thanks, as always, for joining me on Keto for Women and another episode of the Keto Hot Seat today. Always so exciting to do these episodes for me and hopefully for you. I'll explain more about what's going to take place in just a few minutes with this Keto Hot Seat episode. But first, let's just catch up because it's been a while. I know it doesn't seem like it because the podcast has still been rolling, but I have actually not been around. I haven't recorded a podcast in several weeks, which is very rare for me. I'm the type of podcaster that prefers to record as close to the time that the episode is going to air. So it's most like real time for you as listeners. And if you listen pretty close to when the air date takes place, then it doesn't feel like we're miles apart. It's just so funny. I think since I haven't recorded in such a long time, it almost feels like I haven't caught up with my friends in such a long time because I feel like you all as Keto for Womeners are just my friends and now we need to catch up. So I haven't talked to you since the low-carb cruise, which is crazy because it feels like that has been forever ago, but lots to catch up on there. I mean, it's such a great experience. And if you are someone who enjoys going on cruises, or if you're someone that's never been on a cruise and you're low carb, which we all are here listening to the show, it's a really good opportunity to get a little bit of both, get a little bit of conference time, learning more about keto or low carb, hearing from speakers, getting to know the speakers, getting to spend time with other low carbers, all that good stuff mixed in with a vacation. Because on those days that you are at a port, it's vacation day. So you can spend time with your family or friends or whoever you went on the cruise with, or maybe your new friends from the low carb group and get some time outside while the days that you're at sea, you are conferencing it up and learning more about keto, low carb, that kind of stuff. So a really good mix of both. Such a fun experience to have that. I do want to make sure people realize, I think I've said this before, but I'll keep saying it because I get this question so much. The whole cruise isn't low carb. There was about 200 of us on a boat of 3,500 people. So very small portion. And Trust me, the food is about the farthest thing from low carb you can possibly imagine. And so that's just something that we navigate as a group. And you can choose to do that. You can choose not to do that. There's no judgment. Nothing wrong with that. But I would say, I think if anyone has been on a cruise, then you know that the food is just crazy. (laughs) There's just a ton of it. Most of it is very, very poor quality as far as, I guess, me being a huge proponent of the best quality food I can possibly find when I'm here at home. Obviously, not something I'm going to get on a cruise, but that's not to say that it's terrible or tastes bad or anything like that. It's really great food. It's just not what a lot of us are used to eating at home, which, of course, you know that pretty much anytime you travel anywhere, that's what it's going to be. 
but there definitely is a little bit of a need to navigate that if that's something that you choose to do and finding the best fats and finding good high quality meats and vegetables, that stuff all takes a little bit of work when you're on a cruise that most people that are not part of the low carb community don't think twice about. But as someone who is part of that community, that's something that we did have to navigate, which totally fine, definitely worked. But I will say that I was very excited to come back home to my kitchen and my cooking and my butcher box meats and my organic vegetables from the farm and all that stuff. But still, totally worth it to have that great experience. For me as a speaker, I got to meet really a lot of people in the keto community that I hadn't met in person yet, which was so fun. Of course, I love doing that and just connecting with people in real life when you're used to only seeing them on Instagram or on their blog or whatever the case was just so cool always great to do that at conferences. That's my favorite thing to do. Also met some Keto for Women listeners, which is great. And again, anytime that happens, that's like my everything that just lights me up. So if you are ever going to be in the same place where I am, please come say something. Please come say hi, give me a hug, we can take a picture, whatever you want to do. Let's chat for sure. It just is my everything. Speaking of, I will be at KetoCon this weekend. If you are listening to this when the show airs, I'm there. I'm there in the conference center. And so if you're also there in the conference center, come find me, come say hi. I will be speaking on Sunday late morning. So make sure to check that out all about your version of keto and how to find that version that works for you. Really exciting talk, something I haven't talked about in front of a group yet. Although I know I talk about it here on the show quite a bit, but nice to put some slides to it and some kind of sense behind it and get a little bit of a flow going for that. That will be a talk that I will also do in a webinar format because I know there's quite a few of you not going to KetoCon this weekend. So if you don't get a chance to see me there, then make sure to catch the webinar on finding your version of keto because it'll be fun. I love doing webinars. They're the best. And you get to see my face instead of just listening to my voice. So you actually get to see lips moving as I talk, which is sometimes nice to see that when you're used to only hearing people through audio. I like it at least. So as far as what I actually learned from the talks on the low carb cruise and what I will be learning from the talks at KetoCon this weekend, I'm going to combine all those in a episode next week and give you all the scoop on just things that are being talked about, what's going on in the keto community and some of these talks and KetoCon, I'm sure we'll have a lot of stories to come out of it and that kind of stuff. So be on the lookout for that next week, but I will do both of those in one, just so I'm not constantly talking about talks and not getting through any of these massive amount of questions that we have here. A few just quick announcements, quick reminders, really. First of all, remember that the Fat Burning Female Self-Study is now open for enrollment forever. So if you ever do feel like you want to find out more about what I mean when I say a ketogenic style diet, for women, then that would be the place to go. And it is always available to you. If you want to take that up a notch, the Fat Burning Female Project, that is opening for enrollment July 2nd. We start July 9th and your course materials will be delivered that Friday, the 6th. So basically 
we want July 2nd. That's going to be the one-day enrollment course. That class does sell out every time. And so it takes a day. We all get our enrollment in. We get our spots. And we have a few days to celebrate the 4th of July for all my American friends. And then we go into learning more about keto, making that transition together starting the next week. So really good timing there, I think, for a lot of people to get this all done over the summer and make sure you are keto in the next few weeks and doing it right for your body and finding out more about your body and becoming intuitive with your keto. So taking everything you're learning about keto from this podcast and from trying it yourself and learning from others and books and all that stuff, but then taking it and learning it all about you and what works for you and how that looks like for you in the future without having to use the calculators and the apps and the macro counters and all that stuff. So that's what we're going to do in July. So if you'd like to join in, I would highly, highly recommend you head to the website, put your email in. That is the best way to get notified of when enrollment opens because remember, it is just one day. So if you want to get in on the July class, you have one day, I will notify you the second that enrollment opens through that email so that you can grab your spot before they are gone and we can get started. So that's happening in a few weeks. If you want to just do the self-study, that's always available to you. Totally your choice. And yes, I get a lot of questions. You can always start with a self-study and move up to the project when it opens for enrollment. So that's an option for you as well. All right, let's get to these questions. So as a reminder, I'm going to do this every single time we have a hot seat episode. Just a reminder that these questions, I have not looked at them. That's the point of the hot seat. I try to get through as many as possible. These are only coming to me through hot seat specific posts that I request these type of questions from. They're short, they're quick, they're to the point. They hopefully pertain to many people, and that's what we're looking for so we can get a wide variety, a good audience, feedback, and really get some answers to some questions that are out there in the community in general. Because I have not looked at them, that means that sometimes I'm not going to know the answer, or I'm not going to know all the answer, or I may just give my opinion on some things. So keep that in mind. That's honestly what I prefer because... It's just real life. And I have no problem telling you that I don't know if I don't know. I may be able to point you in a direction of someone or some post or something that does know. And I'm happy to do that. And no harm. You can still find your answer. But if I don't have the answer, I'm not going to fudge it. Just let you know that. And there have been a few in this time that I've been doing it that I just don't know. And there's a lot that I give my opinion on. So that's cool with me too. And I hope that's cool with you too. Let's get started. So. Maybe I got through 10 to 12 last time out of hundreds now. So we have a lot to go, but these are great questions and I do want to get through them. I hope you guys enjoy these episodes because they're going to be happening more frequently. I got to get through these hundreds somehow. All right, let's get going. Workouts. I know you say to eat intuitively, which I love. I average a 500 calorie burn. Should I eat a little more from each block or just fat? Any good pre or post workout recommendations? It's really hard for me to eat before a workout. Feeling great in week two, trusting the process. This girl who needs to heal from years of yo-yo dieting and never loses. 
Okay, so this person is coming from week two of the Fat Burning Female Project, obviously, just to let you all know, she's talking about the block system that we do within the Fat Burning Female Project. That's kind of how we take it back a notch and start kind of quote unquote tracking our food for a few weeks in a very, I don't want to say macro as in macronutrients, but macro perspective. So a much wider lens and much easier way to go about it. But anyway, she's asking about eating more for workouts. First of all, I just have to point this out. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. This is, again, me putting on my personal trainer hat. But a 500-calorie burn, I don't know where you're getting that number. But regardless, most of those, if not all, of the ability to track how many calories you're burning in a workout are inaccurate. If you're looking at a machine, super inaccurate. If you are looking at maybe like an Apple Watch or a Fitbit or something like that, a little more accurate, but still, like there is really not a way to fully track the calories that you are burning in a workout. So I do want to point that out, first of all. Second of all, that still is giving you the mentality of calories in versus calories out. So meaning like, okay, my basal metabolic rate is this amount of calories. I burned 500 calories in my workout. So I need to eat this many calories or I need to under eat by this many calories in order to achieve any such goal. That math doesn't hold up. And I know that it's hard to grasp because there's still so many people saying that it does. And there are a lot of stories, I guess, out there of people saying that it works to lower your calorie content and be at a calorie deficit. But I want you to just think about something for a second and remember that those stories, let's talk to them a year from now. Is it the same story? Have they had to lower their calorie intake even further to continue to lose? Did they gain, plateau, whatever the case may be after a few months at that lower calorie content and now they're stuck and now they don't know what to do and now they have to change something? I would say the amount of people that have that story is extremely high. Like, in the 90%, if not 100%. Because that's what we're told. That's what we're led to believe. But there's no stories of that actually working out, of you continuing to lower your calorie content, you continuing to do this calories in versus calories out thing, and it continuing to work without you having to change anything or without you having to lower your food intake even more or increase your workouts even higher, and then what happens to your body when you do that. So no one's taking into account how that's affecting your health, and especially us as women who have hormones that will then, of course, get out of balance. I mean, this is what we talk about pretty much every day on Keto for Women. But so I think we all know the outcome of what happens when we have a stress on our body, such as lowering your calorie intake and or increasing your workout expenditure in to various degrees, it's super stressful. We know that. So I just want to point all that out first. So I think when anyone brings up calories, whether it's burning or counting, 
how much you're eating or whatever it may be, I always get that red flag ding, 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 because that still means there's that mentality in there. Now, of course, she's talking about eating more food, which is great because that means that she's thinking of it still in terms of wanting to make sure to cover the expenditure that she's having. So she's not putting herself into this place of restriction or under eating or undernourishing for what she's doing in the gym. So that's great. And I think that that is definitely a huge mindset change in the right direction. But we can also just take out the calories overall. Just don't even think about it. Just in general, you had a day that you worked out hard. That means that your body needs fuel. And it's going to tell you that. When I have days of hard workouts, which are becoming more and more frequent lately, I'm hungry. I'm so hungry. And I eat bigger meals. I make up for that. I listen to my body. I eat a ton of food. Sometimes it contains carbs. And that's what is able to kind of combat that hunger. Sometimes it's a higher fat day. I just need more fat. A lot of the times, it's more protein that satisfies that. So it doesn't matter. I think she's asking if she just eats more fat in order to get the higher level of food required for those workouts. It's up to you and what your body wants. It doesn't have to be all fat. It doesn't have to be all protein. It doesn't have to be all carbs. It can just be increasing your overall amount of food, maybe having an entire another meal or plate of food that has a little bit of each. Maybe that's what works best. But a lot of people do like to just go for the fat and do it that way to get the extra food that their body needs for that higher level workout. Just listen to your body. And I know it's hard, but your body will give you the signal, especially after a workout, of how much food it needs in order to recover from that workout. And so like, if you eat all fat and you're still hungry, then add in some protein and carbs and see if that helps with the hunger and gives you a little bit more of a satisfied feeling. And what happens to your next workout? Is it better or worse? How do you feel the next day? Do you have energy or not? You can use all of this stuff. So everything that I talk about in eating intuitively also happens with your workout. So working out intuitively and combining the two. So when I eat this after a workout, because that's what my body wanted, how does that affect my workouts the following day? Do you continue to have great workouts? Well, then you found your answer. Easy, right? Now you know exactly what to eat. All right, next up. When trying to correct amenorrhea, is it recommended to eat, quote unquote, estrogenic foods? Best sources, if so. Well, here's the deal. When you have amenorrhea, you have to find out why you are not cycling. There are a number of possible reasons why, and it's different for every woman. A lot of women, it's just low overall, almost non-existent hormones for both estrogen and progesterone. You having estrogenic foods and trying to increase your estrogen naturally through those foods isn't going to do a whole lot. You need to heal the overall reason why those are low. A lot of times people don't have a menstrual cycle because they have high testosterone and DHEA. So then eating estrogenic foods and trying to increase your estrogen is still not solving the problem. So I don't think that is something to be concerned with. I think the bigger picture is to find out why you're not having a menstrual cycle and heal that. It is never just because you need some estrogenic foods. 
That's never the case. Of course, you can do everything to support your hormones overall as a woman. I think putting any emphasis on eating estrogenic foods for anyone is unnecessary and just a step that doesn't need to happen. Instead, just eat nourishing foods, heal your body, eat a lot of food to get those nutrients that your body is so craving and to really put your body at ease. Work more on adrenal health and just getting into this place of parasympathetic mode as much as possible. There's a lot more that can be done at a higher level before we need to start eating like flaxseed, which would be an estrogenic food and just eating all the flaxseed. And really, I mean, that could potentially cause more harm than good anyway, especially if you don't need to increase your estrogen. So never something to just overconsume, just to try. Always something to find out more information first. And that also doesn't mean that you shouldn't be eating flaxseed. It just means to have a normal amount. When it sounds good, eat it. If it comes in a grain-free granola or something happens to have flaxseed or you make a recipe for muffins or something that calls for flaxseed, then do it. That's great. But it doesn't need to be something that you are really focusing on getting before you know everything else about your body. All right, next up. I know that you talk a lot about making sure that you eat enough. I'm intuitively eating two meals a day when I'm hungry, but I'm finding it hard to get all of my calories in. Everything that I've heard says not to force yourself to eat if you're not hungry, but I'm worried that I'm lowering my metabolism. I love your show and anxiously await the notification on my phone on Fridays that a new one is posted. Ah, thank you. Thanks, Sarah. And there was a lot of likes on this one, so something we definitely want to talk about. And this is super important topic because... We just talked about the metabolism lowering and then things not working as they had. I mean, I cannot even tell you how often I have this conversation with the Keto for Women community because it's always the story of I started keto at blah, blah, blah time. I lost blah, blah, blah amount of weight. Then I stopped losing and now I'm gaining it back. Okay. It's not keto. It's not keto's fault. It is the issue of lowering your metabolic function and your metabolic capacity and metabolic rate and getting stuck there. So your body is now trying to conserve energy because there was a period of time when you stopped giving it the energy that it wanted or the energy it was required to function at the rate that you want it to function, which means it lowers itself. And so the same thing you were doing no longer works. This is the case for every single calorie-restricted diet out there. Keto doesn't make it different. Just because we're becoming fat burners, that doesn't mean that your metabolism or your metabolic capacity isn't going to change along with that. It doesn't mean that we keep burning at this high rate just because we're keto. So it's not keto's fault. It's how you have taken keto and what you've done to it, which is why I have this podcast, which is why I have a course where I teach women and I help women dig themselves out of this. It is a huge problem. It is something I did to myself a few years ago, and I had to dig myself out of too. And it happens. It does work, but it's not immediate. It takes some time and it takes some patience. And You just have to keep doing it. You have to keep letting your body know that it can function at this higher capacity, that there's plenty of food and nutrients available. And 
that's what will help it change. So to get back to the question, because obviously, of course, I get off track, as always, this is the hard part about keto. This is the challenge that I see a lot of women face, partially because we're still in that diet mentality. And especially if you came to keto prior to doing the fat-burning female project, so you didn't start with enough food and tried to decrease the amount of food, a lot of times it's unintentionally. I'm not blaming anybody for doing that because it is hard. You're not hungry. You're eating lots of fat and the satiety signals are kicking in and you just don't feel hungry. And this is what's happening here in this case. The problem is that that lack of hunger then leads to this lower metabolic capacity. So that is where the challenge comes in. Now, if you can get to a point where even if those two meals a day are really nutrient-dense meals and you're getting the fats that you need and the protein that you need and the veggies you need, if you can do that in those two meals, then that's okay. That is definitely a way to go. It may be a case, though, where you do have to add in that third meal, and maybe it is just like a smoothie or a jam-packed fatty coffee or something like that where maybe it's not necessarily making you feel even more full, but it's still giving you the ability to get your food in. So I think that that is a really good place to try too. Another really great hack to getting your metabolic capacity back up and making you hungry to eat enough food is to work out. Like I really hope that you're moving a lot because if you're moving a lot and you're building muscle, those muscles need to eat and they're going to tell you. And so then that makes it, like I just mentioned in our workout question, that makes it a lot easier to get the food in as well. So hopefully that's happening in this case too. It definitely is a concern. It's definitely something to consider and think about. I know there's probably people out there in the keto community that say that it doesn't affect your metabolism. It does. I've seen it way too many times to tell you anything but that. Now, have I done a study on it? No. Have those people done it? No. So it's really just one person saying one thing and the other person saying the other. Are those people women that are saying that? Keep that in mind too, because I will tell you the metabolism of a man is way different than the metabolism of a woman. And I think that we can all agree with that. We've all seen these men who just can pound food. And we've all seen cases of that. It's pretty obvious that that is the case. So keep that in mind as well. I've just, I've seen it. So I really don't want that to happen to you all because it often leads to the belief that it's keto's fault. When in reality, keto can get you out of that, but it's going to take time. That is not something that bounces back that quickly. And that we talk about this a lot in the project. So if that's something that you're dealing with, I highly, highly recommend going through that class. It's like the main thing that we do there. Before we move on with this episode, let me just take a minute to remind you all about the healing power of bone broth. And more specifically, Oh So Good Bone Broth, who is a proud Keto for Women sponsor. Bone broth is the best, most nutrient-dense way that you can go to heal your body and heal your gut and improve your skin and nails and hair. The amino acid profile in bone broth is absolutely incredible, something we all need and a lot of us miss on a regular basis. Not to mention those micronutrients, the vitamins and minerals also provided naturally in bone broth that work to heal your gut and also to 
heal your immune system and to keep you healthy and well. That's why we are recommended to drink broth when we're sick or when we feel ourselves getting sick. And to have that in a package that is so delicious and so easy All you have to do is grab a pack of oh-so-good bone broth out of your freezer, let it thaw, put it into a pot, and you can use it either in recipes for whatever you're making that day, or my personal favorite is to just drink it straight out of a mug. It's very comforting and warm. I love to do it before bed. It's kind of my nighttime ritual. It calms me down, makes sure that I'm nice and healthy heading into bedtime, and I have those nutrients ready to go. Oh So Good Bone Broth is 100% the best tasting broth out there. It is the best one I have ever had. I've tried them all. I am a huge fan of the flavors of the bone broth that they have there at Oh So Good. My favorite is the Signature. I highly recommend that. A close second is the Spicy Pork. So make sure when you are placing your order with Oh So Good, you grab those two and just give them a try. Let me know if you think they're your favorite too. And just make sure you always have some around. I know you can make your own, but there's just times when all of a sudden you or your family member feels like they're coming down with something and you need some broth immediately, but you don't have any bones. You don't have the time to make some broth. And it's just really nice to have that in the freezer ready to go for whenever you or your family needs it, which really, honestly, it's an everyday thing. You need to be making this a ritual so that it gets into your health care routine because it is a much needed part of that. So head to ohsogoodbones.com and get $10 off your order when you use the code KETO, the number for women. That's O-S-S-O goodbones.com and use the coupon code KETO, the number for women, to place your order, get $10 off, make sure to try all those flavors, try the soups too, they are phenomenal and so easy to pull out and have around for a quick dinner, uh, just so great, everything's so good there, I promise you're going to be obsessed. All right, wondering, are blood ketones showing ketones we are using or excess ketones? Also, when is optimal time of day to test? So I have a whole podcast about testing ketones. I think there's actually two. (laughs) Maybe not. I can't remember. They all just flow together when you get past 50, I swear. But just quickly to answer this, blood ketones are showing ketones in excess. So they're showing the ketones in the blood that haven't yet been used by our body, which makes sense. That's why they're in your blood, kind of waiting for their time to be needed. That doesn't mean that it's not accurate or anything like that, but that does show that we don't necessarily need more in our blood to be better at ketosis, quote unquote. So it's not like the higher the amount in the blood, the better your body's at being in ketosis. It just means there's more kind of at the ready to be used when needed. This is also kind of the reason why a lot of times if you test your ketones right after a workout or something like that, they're a lot lower and it's because you just used a bunch of them. So also not something to freak out about. That's why really all we want to do is make sure that we are 
are in that 0. 0.5 to 3.0 range. And once you're there, as long as you're feeling good, which is the better way to judge, as long as you're feeling good at that number, that means that you do have enough excess in your blood to keep you in a state of ketosis. So to keep that body remembering to use those ketones in the blood for fuel. So we just want to get to that baseline. But then as long as you're feeling good, that means that your body's using them well. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you need to have more. And then the best time to test, I like to test later in the day. So usually late afternoon to around dinner time, as long as I haven't worked out or eaten within two hours of that time frame. All right, moving on. This one's a little bit longer, but I'll read through it. Before keto, whenever I would wait too long before eating, my body would become extremely weak and shaky. After I'd eat, usually something carby, I'd feel tired and my heart would beat fast. When I began keto almost a year ago, I didn't have this problem. However, recently I would have the same terrible fatigued feeling after I'd eat any meal, which are always keto friendly. Long story short, my husband and I pinpointed the problem as beginning keto when I upped my collagen intake to two scoops instead of one. We figured I was having too much protein and glycine in my morning coffee, and so whatever additional protein I was having my meals later in the day was being turned into glucose and giving me a blood sugar spike. Does this sound possible to you? I have reduced my collagen intake and these episodes have reduced, but every once in a while, I feel the symptoms after a sizable meal. It's a terrible fatigue, heart racing feeling that was causing me so much stress because I couldn't figure out what was wrong. Thanks and love your podcast. Okay. Yeah. So what this sounds like to me, it definitely could be a reaction to the level of protein that you increased because we all know that protein can have an effect on our blood sugar. It's different for everybody. Really, when something like this happens, the best thing to do is to test your blood sugar because it sounds like no matter what, regardless, you do have blood sugar imbalance. So there is, it seems, to be some sort of either potential spike for a short term after these protein-heavy meals or followed by more so of a reactive hypoglycemic dip. And that's what you're experiencing with the shakiness and the heart racing and the fatigue is that symptom of hypoglycemic episode. So I would really make sure to test your blood sugar when that happens, for sure, to see if that truly is the case, which I think is going to be. And from there, just kind of start testing a little more frequently to get more information about your blood sugar. Because it sounds to me like and you're in the right spot, you're doing keto, and this is a great place to heal your blood sugar, even if it more is from a hypoglycemic. I know we talk a lot about high blood sugar in the keto community, but I actually see a large amount of women needing to heal their low blood sugar. And low blood sugar, from what I have found, really happens to a lot of women who are coming from a past of calorie restriction or food restriction or being on a low calorie diet for too long, again, whether you knew it or not, that seems to correlate quite highly with then women coming into keto and really showing a lot of symptoms of hypoglycemic episodes. I think that one of the best things to do in this case is to definitely stay in ketosis and really get that blood sugar healing, but you're probably going to have to eat more frequently for a while, which I know is like the opposite of what everyone says in keto. But 
I'm going to tell you that. Eat more frequently because you'll have less of a chance of getting that dip happening. We want to keep your blood sugar super stable and steady. Remember, the baby roller coaster is what we're looking for. Right now, you are having some big dips, and that's what's causing those symptoms. So any keto meal is going to be a baby roller coaster meal. Doing it more frequently is going to keep you in that baby roller coaster more frequently. That makes sense, right? So especially when they're keto friendly, you're not going to have these huge spikes and roller coaster rides every time you eat. So eating more frequently can really help someone with a hypoglycemic tendency really start balancing that out and healing from that. And you should notice that happening less frequently and then be gone. This is also because I know you say that it happens when you eat larger meals. So this also is a case where those meals that you do eat can be smaller because you are eating more frequently. You can have smaller meals. So definitely only having one serving of protein at every meal and a couple servings of fat and some veggies and just making that happen more frequently will help with all of this too. So yeah, I think you're definitely on the right track, but make sure you are testing your blood sugar. Anyone that's having any of those type symptoms where after a meal, they don't feel good in that way, whether it's being tired or shaky or anything like that, please make sure to test your blood sugar and find out more info. What is the proper meal to consume before a half marathon? Well, that depends. Are you fully in ketosis, which I'm assuming you are because you're asking this question here on Keto for Women. So if you are someone that's in ketosis and doing long distance style workouts, then a lot of times having a really good ketogenic style breakfast beforehand, or I'm assuming it's in the morning, whatever meal that is beforehand will be plenty. And that would probably get you through the majority, if not all, of that race or whatever workout you're doing that is long distance and usually, obviously, long amount of time, which is quite different from the standard, which, you know, that's why there's all those goos and packets and all that stuff, because you constantly have to keep refueling your glucose. But when you're fueled on ketones, you don't have to worry about that because your body's going to produce those ketones. Now, I do think in order to make sure that that happens really Really effectively and efficiently, make sure to fuel your body with some fat. So that should really be even up to a few days before. I would really make sure that your ketogenic style meals have lots of fat, which of course they already probably do because you're already eating this way, but make that even more so over the days before. And then just before your workout, I mean, it's definitely hard too because you want to make sure that you've digested that. So give yourself enough time, but have a normal, like if it's in the morning and you eat bacon and eggs and have a fatty coffee or whatever, just do that again. Just keep doing that same thing. There's no need to really alter anything beyond that. And you'll continue to produce those ketones and feel really good in your workout. There has been some talk too about if you do need a snack, you know, I guess a a refuel, I think something like nut butter packet or something like that would be really great to take and just give yourself the little extra boost there if needed. 
Moving on. I have been keto for one year now. The one thing I cannot correct is my low iron anemia. I have heavy periods and my doctor wants to either put me on an IUD, have my uterine wall removed, or a hysterectomy. I really don't want any of the three. Any suggestions on what to do next? I use a cup so it's easier to measure my flow and he figures I lose close to half a unit a month. Is this a symptom of something bigger? Love your podcast. Love all you contribute to this community. Ah, thank you. Yes, I would say before you go to any of those, which are all pretty extreme measures for this situation, let's get more information because quite often, I mean, of course, there's going to be other factors. Genetics play a huge role in having heavy periods, but there also are a lot of hormonal imbalances and hormonal symptoms that contribute to having heavy periods as well. So while you may always have a heavy flow, we can back it up and get it to be a little bit more regulated by looking into your hormones and really focusing on balancing those out from this more functional medicine level. So I would definitely do that first. I'm assuming since you're going to your traditional doctor for this, I don't know if they've even tested your hormones. And if so, it was done through a blood test. I would recommend getting a saliva or urine test done for your hormones and working with a functional medicine practitioner to see if that can balance out first before you go to these extreme routes because you're not going to need to if you just give it time for that. And I'm sure hopefully you're on iron supplementation and doing that appropriately and using a good high quality bioavailable iron to do so. Happy to help you with that. If you want to do the Happy Hormones Project, that is something we would do there. All right, next one. Is there a network of affordable functional doctors? All the hormone doctors through insurance have a two and a half month waiting list and functional doctors in my area, which is LA, cost hundreds up to thousands just to get in the door. Yeah, that is very common. That is one of the biggest reasons why I do what I do and have made the classes that I have made because I use the functional perspective. I do so in a small group setting. So it offsets the cost by like thousands of dollars per person. It's just the functional medicine world is a highly specialized world. As we all know, it is not covered under insurance yet. Maybe someday it will be, but most of the stuff that is done through these types of doctors and practitioners are not covered. Although I have had people have success using their HSA accounts to get some of this stuff covered. So that is an option potentially. It's just a really special service. And so because of that, you have to pay for that special service and pay to truly get well and healthy and get answers about your body. And I think that's the main reason why more of us aren't finding out what's actually going on with us is because it's expensive. And I totally get it. I've spent more money than I could ever possibly count getting answers about my body. And to tell you the truth, I don't regret one penny being spent of that in order to find out this information that I so desperately needed. So I don't have a network for you, unfortunately. I wish I did, but I will say if you are looking to test your hormones, again, same as the last question, happy to help you. Because of my group format and how the courses run, I can save you a little bit of money. Why do I get my period twice a month whenever I go keto? Well, I would say, and I know I say this quite a bit, you get your period twice a month whenever you go keto because you're not taking the time to learn about doing keto appropriately for a woman. And so more than likely, you may be 
this is, again, the reason why this podcast exists. You may be transitioning too quickly, not eating enough of the right nutrients in order to keep your body safe and healthy during the transition, maybe causing too much stress on your body. And when we cause stress on our bodies or we make changes like this, it reacts in our hormone function. And so your hormones are getting a little bit out of whack and that causes two periods a month. And someone like you, sometimes it causes people to not have periods. Sometimes it causes really long periods, totally different. It depends on that. So a lot of times it's just because you made that transition a little too stressful on your body. And so every time you do it, you do it the same way. It causes that stress and then our hormones take note. Also, if you came to keto with a hormonal imbalance, a lot of times keto kind of brings that up and shows you things you haven't been noticing or things you've been missing when you do go keto. So this is really a case where I would really recommend doing the Fat Burning Female Project, making sure you're making that transition to keto safely for your female body and your hormones, and then that won't happen. You'll be all good. Can keto be used to improve my irregular post-pill menstrual cycle? I went off the pill a year ago and my menstrual cycles have been too long. It took me six months to get my first period and my most recent cycle was 45 days long. I also have acne, which is a blow to my self-confidence. The pill can be damaging to women. And so I also wanted to thank you for speaking up about this issue. Anyway, I have heard conflicting opinions about who should start a keto diet and often hear that women with irregular periods should not be keto. However, I think you have said that keto can be used to regulate improved menstrual cycles. Can you please expand on this and respond to why some people don't recommend keto when you have hormonal imbalances? I know you just did your hormone addition hot seat, but I didn't hear this addressed exactly. I sure can. Yeah, so a couple different things we want to touch on here. Can keto be used to improve my irregular post-pill menstrual cycle? Yes, absolutely. I've seen it hundreds of times. I've seen it in myself for personal changes. Keto is so great for hormones. And if you talk to women in the community and us who are now teaching keto to other women, we will all tell you the exact same thing. Now, the women that are saying that it isn't good for regulating your period, first of all, may not have ever tried keto. They may not know enough about keto. Maybe they haven't done the research or had any sort of experience in their own practices with women having success. Another one of those cases where I think because keto is still a little bit new, although rapidly gaining followers and support in the general community, so grateful for that. But it still is a topic that is a little touchy. Some people are scared to recommend it still because there's not enough information or they haven't done enough research or they haven't tried it themselves or maybe they tried it themselves and it didn't go well or they hear horror stories or whatever. So I think it's still just a matter of lack of knowledge or information or I guess backup. And I have all of that. And the other women in the keto community who love using keto to balance hormones, we have all of that because we've tried it ourselves. It worked. We've tried it with other clients. It works. We've done the research. We know what's happening. We know what's going on and we know that it works in that regard. So it just is a difference of opinion, really, I think. But there's more opinion based for the people saying that it doesn't work than there is opinion based for people 
like myself who have seen it work over and over and over again. Now, again, the reason why this podcast exists and the reason why the Fat Burning Female Project exists is because it's very easy for keto not to work for your hormones and to make it actually worse. And this is, again, the reason why there are horror stories out there and why there are practitioners out there saying not to do it because it does need to be done differently because we are women. We are not men. We should not be following the man's approach to keto. And that's what women do because, you know, the pioneers in the keto community are men. And most of the people still talking about keto are men. Thank goodness we're now getting into this place where there are more women talking about keto. But it's still, when we Google keto, a lot of the stuff that we see are coming from a man and coming from a man who wants to teach women how to lose weight. And it's not the same as how a man needs to lose weight. It's not the same. So taking what they're learning or what they know or what they've studied or researched about weight loss doesn't apply to a woman. It applies to a man. And so their results come from a man. Okay, again, getting on a tangent, but here we go. So I think I just want to point out that yes, if you do keto like a man, you're going to oftentimes worsen your hormonal imbalance. You may worsen your thyroid imbalance, your adrenals, your metabolism, all those things that we talk about all the time. When you do keto for a woman, you heal those things. It's a very different place to be. This is why I'm here. This is why I do what I do. This is why I have the Fat Burning Female Project. So hard to still have people say that keto doesn't work for hormones when I see it every single day and I have had the best menstrual cycles of my life since I've gone keto. I mean, all it takes is one person and I'm that one person, but I also have hundreds of women saying the same exact thing. So you can't really refute that in my opinion. Hi, Sean. Thank you so much for all the work you do. It's so informative and inspiring at the same time. Can you please explain why some people can't eat nuts and seeds? What causes the inflammation? I assume it's a symptom of another underlying imbalance. I suspect that I might have an intolerance, but I'm having difficulty identifying what exactly is causing my symptoms. I eat a lot of nuts. So the main issue with nuts is that they are highly indigestible. So a lot of people can't fully break down and digest the nuts that they are eating, even if we chew them as many times as possible. Nuts contain lectins. It is a kind of natural thing that occurs in things like grains, nuts and seeds, legumes, those kinds of foods as a protection mechanism for their more natural environment. It protects them. But then when we go to consume them, that protection mechanism is still in place and it is really hard for our bodies to break that down in our digestive system. So that leads to undigested food, right, in the form of nuts or grains or legumes, whatever you're eating. And those undigested food particles can then cause a leaky gut. And so once you have a leaky gut, those undigested food particles can transfer into your bloodstream and that causes a food sensitivity. So then once you're having these foods in your bloodstream, your immune system gets called into action because there's this foreign substance now in your bloodstream that needs to be taken care of. It needs an attack. And so your immune system starts attacking it. 
there's a food sensitivity because your immune system will now always recognize that food as needing to be a food as an attacker, I guess, and needing to be taken care of. So there we have a food sensitivity. That's about the most basic possible way that I can explain a food sensitivity and undigested food particles and all that stuff in a matter of seconds (laughs) when it could take the entire episode. But for a matter of time purpose, that's basically what happens. It can happen to any food. A lot of times it just happens because our digestive function isn't as high as it should be. So we just kind of have sluggish overall digestion and that can happen with any food. With nuts, it's a little bit harder because even if you have good digestion, you still have a good chance of not being able to totally break that down and causing that leaky gut to happen. It doesn't happen in everybody. If you feel fine eating nuts, then you're fine. So that could be potentially what's going on here. And if that's the case, then you would need to take the time to heal your gut, which I always recommend getting a gut analysis first before you attempt to heal your gut because there's going to be, but like say five reasons why you're not able to heal your gut and you're not going to know any of those without actually testing to know why your gut can't be healed. So that would be the case. You would take out the nuts during that process to allow your immune system to rest. This is all just an example, assuming that nuts are sensitivity. And life is good. You can heal your gut and then you can start eating nuts again because at this point, they will stay within your gut wall and not make it out to your bloodstream. And all is good. How to follow keto when you can't eat dairy or nuts. I'm finding it tough to follow and feel limited to avocado, coconut oil, olive oil, and eggs. Well, I don't eat dairy and I do just fine. It's really, really easy. I don't even really eat that many nuts either. I guess I do eat some nut butters, but I really think it is super possible. I think expanding your variety of fats is a really good idea. So you can try things like tallow or duck fat or just different kind of solid fats to cook your veggies in and cook your meat in. I think that's always a good idea. Expanding on fatty cuts of meat is always a good idea to get your fats in. But really what I see, because you can still have avocado oil, coconut oil, olive oil, eggs, start making more like dressings and sauces and mayos and things like that to really mix it up. I mean, that's what I do. That's basically how I get my fats is I'm always eating some kind of flavored mayo or some sort of dressing I've made from mayo or some sort of other olive oil-based dressing. That makes it so easy, I think, to get your fats and you can make them into dressings or just use them as dips and just dip your meat in some sort of mayo-based sauce. It's so good. It's delicious. So I think when questions like this get asked, it's not that you need to change your fats. It's just you need to become a little bit more creative with what you're doing with your fats. And then you should have no problem. You can also, of course, make like fat bombs and stuff like that that are always usually coconut oil based. Still lots of things you can do. I like the reoccurring theme about not being concerned with the number on the scale. What about body fat percentage? Is there a certain percentage over standard range that an individual should be concerned? Well, yes, I would say definitely there is a level of concern for your body fat percentage. I would say for a woman, it would probably be, I'd say upper 30s to 40%. I would start being concerned and start making that change. The problem is the way to actually test your body fat is really, really hard to do. So of course, if you're getting on a scale and using that to test your body fat, not a good measure, not going to be accurate. 
even if you're going to the gym and your personal trainer or whoever is using calipers, still not accurate. And I used to do that for people all the time. And let me tell you, it's not accurate at all. Using the little thing that you hold on to, not accurate. Really, the only way to do it, there are a few different ways you can do like a water immersion. I don't know the proper term for this off the top of my head. Again, not scripted, so I don't have the name. I think it might be called like a body pod or something like that, but you can get submerged in water and that will test your body fat the most accurately. So there's that. And then there's one other, again, I can't remember off the top of my head. Maybe I'll put a link to these options in the show notes so I can have some time to go get the actual name for you. But I think the better way to do it, quite honestly, because both of the ways that are really accurate aren't really highly available, and I think they cost some money, the best way to do it is to just look at your body and see if you notice any changes, if you notice some excess body fat where it didn't used to be, if you have more that's pinchable than it used to be. Now, this doesn't mean that it's in excess. I would just say maybe it would be potentially motivation for you to work on changing that and work on building more muscle and seeing what that does. All that we're trying to do is build muscle. You don't have to worry about getting rid of the fat. Actually, that's a really important point that I don't think I've ever said in that way that needs to be said again. You don't have to worry about losing the fat. You just need to worry about gaining the muscle. If you gain muscle, your body is going to change. Your body is going to take care of that fat because it's going to need more fuel. And we're fat burners. It's going to burn that off when you need more fuel, but you need more muscle to make that requirement change. So again, getting super into the need for women to strength train, but I just can't stop talking about it because I still see way too many women not taking it seriously. But yeah, I don't think that you need to necessarily test your body fat at all. I just think that maybe you start making the change regardless and see what happens. The good thing is that being keto and eating enough nourishing foods and taking care of our bodies and our stress level and all that stuff, it's never going to get to a point of too low body fat. Like That's super hard to do for us as really healthy women. So you have nothing to lose except some body fat. I would just think that We don't need to go to the numbers or anything like that, of course, unless you are kind of verging on an unhealthy range, like I mentioned, which I would say would be 40-ish percent, maybe slightly lower would be a place where I would start being concerned. But regardless, just see what you can do to change that percentage with strength training, with building some muscle, with challenging your body and doing so in a really healthy manner with a really healthy mentality around it. Before we wrap up this episode, I want to chat about FabFitFun, this episode's sponsor. If you don't know already about FabFitFun, it's a seasonal box with full-size beauty, fitness, and lifestyle products. What I love most about FabFitFun is how they pay attention to the choice of the products they're putting in their boxes, which include high-quality, non-toxic, and organic ingredients. I just received my summer box and it has so much great stuff in it. There are things like eyeshadow palette and eyeliner from my favorite non-toxic makeup brand Tarte, a natural and organic charcoal body scrub, a really cute cosmetic bag, and even a Pier 1 jewelry holder. That's just the beginning of it too. There's so much more in there. 
I think it's such a fun thing for a lady to treat herself to or would even make a really good gift for a friend or family member, some lady in your life. Don't miss out, though, because they sell out fast. So you want to order yours, check them out at fabfitfun.com, and you can use the code KETO, the number four women, and save $10 off your first box. That's KETO, the number four women. That makes that first box $39.99. So much fun. You guys deserve to treat yourself. I think this is a really fun way to do so beyond just talking about food all the time. Now we have some other stuff that we can put into our lives to make us feel good. All right, I'm going to stop there for today. That was the last question. But of course, we're going to have more of these episodes coming up in the future, lots and lots more of them. So be on the lookout for those. Next week, I will give you a recap from KetoCon and everything I'm learning in my conference tour for this season. And we'll take it from there. All right, ladies, have a great day. Have a great week. And I'll see you next time.